five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. I look at how he plays the game, you know, how he plays the percentages. I mean, if you think of it like Texas Hold'em, if you will, I mean, he gets dealt a card or gets dealt a certain play. So he'll view that play and, and come up with the best percentage gamble. And you look at a play and you have to see the one that's not right as well as you have to see the one that is correct. You have to take an overall view and then look at and make the right decisions. What I find that he does, even around the net, like there's times where, you know, I could – Guaranteed, 99% of the people in the NHL would take that shot. To look at that and say, well, man, that might be a 60% chance of scoring, but if I make that that crazy play to the backside, then it's a 100% chance of scoring. So he'll make the better play. Uh, he'll shoot the higher percentage areas of the net. He'll do certain plays on the ice. You know, he'll time things. He'll use his space properly where he'll just wait and all of a sudden to shove off the defender, create space for himself, get the puck at a higher speed. So he plays the percentages a lot better. And I think one of his greatest gifts is his mind. <laughs> Hello there and welcome to Sports and More, the podcast, episode 30, featuring Ron Johnson, skills coach and offensive consultant. That was who was just talking and he was speaking about Connor McDavid. Uh, who else uh, would be able to make the plays that Connor McDavid does right now in the NHL? So we'll have more uh, with Ron in a second and more Connor McDavid talk. This is a show where almost anything goes. Uh, we pretty much stay away from politics. We almost always uh, stay away from religion, but we do want to educate you. And that's why Ron is going to join us today. He can also be uh, available at schoolu.com. If you caught our episode with Colin Frazier, he also works at schoolu.com. It's one-on-one -on -one training and that's S-C-O-O-L-U.com. So check it out at www schoolu.com if you like what ron has to say today and maybe you can be working with him one on one so we're going to have a full interview with ron about uh, his background uh, some of the nhl players that he works with and what he looks for uh, when he's evaluating a player but before we get to that how about the battle of alberta on saturday it's back on baby and that is awesome it took some dirty hits, in my opinion, from uh, Matthew Kachuk and a response from Zach Cassian and two-game suspension, but circle the calendars for the next one just after the All-Star break and the bye week. The Battle of Alberta will be back. And uh, listen, um, there's been a ton of NHL players, ex-players, weigh in on this. I have seen very few, if any, saying Matthew Kachuk was in the right. I mean... These are hits that guys like Rafi Torres, Steve Downey, I think Steve Ott maybe were suspended for. Coming around the net, crushing guys like that in a vulnerable position. Nothing for Kachuk, who turtles after Cassian goes after him 
And, uh, you know, it's just uh, at some point, this is what the Oilers have to do if they want to win this situation. Make life hard for Gaudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, all those guys. Make Lucic, make Giordano have to respond to what the Oilers are doing to those guys. Because going after Kachuk does nothing. He just turtles. He, he he literally turtles. Look at the pictures that are out there. He is covering his face because he is scared of Zach Cassian. George LaRock uh, chiming in saying he's got to answer the bell. Timu Solani, who played with George Peros, who is uh, the director of uh, player safety, the man responsible for handing out suspensions, and he called him out on it. So depending on uh, what side of the Battle of Alberta you're on, it the the best thing about it is that it's back on for like the first time in 30 years they're playing meaningful games so it's good to see it's also great to see how good the nfl playoffs have been the ravens get upset the texans and the chiefs put together this ridiculous uh i've never seen a half of football that those two teams put together on the weekend it was it was crazy I just, uh, I just have never seen uh, anything like that, and uh, you know now we move on. I mean, fifty-one thirty-one is the final, and it was twenty-one nothing for the Texans at some point. Couldn't believe it. The Packers outlast the Seahawks. Good to see the Twelves going home. I don't really like them very much. And uh, the 49ers rolled over the Vikings. I thought that would be a little bit closer. And, of course, the the Ravens getting upset. So uh, it's amazing. Uh, It sets up some very interesting uh, conference championships. The Titans and Chiefs, the Packers and 49ers, both games this Sunday. Um, Personally, I think the Chiefs are going to, the Titans' luck is going to run out. The Chiefs will win that one. The game will be the Packers and the 49ers. I think that will be the more closer game. But that's just uh, my opinion as the dude would say. Uh, I want to get you uh, over to Podcast Alley as well. Uh, That's where sports and more, the podcast, is held, but also the Prospects Baseball Show. We had Brent LaValle, who is a minor league manager for the Toronto Blue Jays, just named a minor league manager. He's from Delta, BC, spent 15 years in Shreveport, Louisiana, as a player and then a coach at LSUS, He's got a great story. Uh, so we chatted with him yesterday on the Prospects Baseball Show. Michael Elkin is the latest on the Cannabis 101 podcast. I will have Jill Pollard of Herb Life this Wednesday. Uh, but you can check out Michael's incredible story of determination to get forward in the cannabis industry as a canna broker. You can check him out at uh, cannabroker.com. That's uh, B-R-O-K-R. Uh, there's no E in the broker. And uh, we also have one-timers with our current guest on this show, Ron Johnson. So you can check it all out at podcastalley.ca. Uh, one-timers, some rapid-fire questions about Ron's life and um, hockey tastes. So you can check that all out at podcastalley.ca. And uh, you may be listening to this show on 12OunceSportsRadio.com. Uh, it's a, a awesome station, TV and live radio shows, live TV 
and live radio shows. They have live sports, uh, some basketball, some futsal. It's really, really cool, and it's really expanding. I did have a show on there, Sports and More Live. Unfortunately, I just uh, I, I don't have time right now to commit to that. Uh, the podcast uh, thing is uh, getting busier and busier. I, I do hope to return to 12 on Sports at some point, but we really appreciate their support here at Podcast Alley in allowing us to post our podcasts there. So check out the great lineup that they have at 12OunceSportsRadio.com. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us here on the program, it is easy. My Twitter handle is at Duck Millard. You can get us on Instagram, Sports and More Podcast, on Facebook at Sports and More 35. You can email us, Sports and More Pod at gmail.com, or you can check out the website, Sports and More ca you can also text the show if you want to or leave us a message we can play it on the show uh with maybe a hot take that you have that's one seven eight oh eight oh three one triple five that's seven eight oh eight oh three one five 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 if you want to text or call and leave a message for the show can you dig it Indeed, I can, and you'll really dig this. Uh, We have the Acme Meat Market trivia question, a gift card from Acme Meat Market up for grabs. You can say hi to Corey, Amanda, and their wonderful staff in the Ritchie Market in Edmonton, 9570 76th Avenue. Check out their website, acmemeatmarket.ca. Since 1921, so your hint for the Acme Meat Market trivia question which we will throw at you after the interview with Ron Johnson, is NHL players. Listen for the names of some of the NHL players that he's worked with. Let's get to know Ron in the bio. Time for the bio. Ron Johnson was born and raised in Fort Nelson, B.C. and grew up playing and loving the sport of hockey. He started coaching in his teens and moved down to Vancouver at 19 and has been there ever since. He's been named Coach of the Year in several leagues and was inducted into the Delta Sports Hall of Fame and won the National Bantam A Championship in 1999. He works with NHL stars like Patrick Marlowe, Joe Pavelski, Kyle Connor, Dylan Larkin, Ryan Kessler, and more. And he's also available to youth hockey players and more through www.schoolu.com. Very pleased to welcome Ron Johnson, who is a skills coach and offensive consultant for the sport of hockey. Uh, works with uh, a number of stars in the NHL that we'll uh, chat about in a second. But, uh, Ron, I guess before we uh, kind of get into things, I, I guess give us a little bit about your uh, your backstory in uh, the game of hockey in which, uh, you know, you've been a coach uh, since your teens. Yes, well, the you know, my whole life was I always wanted to play in the NHL. My father wanted me to play for the Boston Bruins. Built me an outdoor rink, you know, from up north. It was a standard thing, practice for all the, you know, the kids. Everybody had a little rink in their backyard, and you'd go and watch a, you know, a hockey night in Canada, and then you go out in the rink and you try to emulate some of your, you know, your idols. And that was my big thing. And then from there, I just developed a passion. My father passed away when I was 17, and my passion kind of 
was gone for a little bit because I always wanted to play the game for him. He wanted me to play for Boston. And then from there, I kind of got into coaching. I moved to Vancouver and got, you know, uh, prodded into coaching a, a girls, a senior girls team. And then from there, I went to Bannerman and Midget and kind of a coach junior, a coach junior A, kind of been all the way up coaching the senior A League in Canada. Kind of been all over the map and uh, just kind of fell in love with the game. And, and just, you know, I think hockey is one of those games that you somehow, for some reason, I don't know if anybody can ever explain why, but it just kind of hooks you and there's a passion there that's undeniable and, and you just stay with it. So and then from there, I just got into, uh, because I was around minor hockey associations for quite a while, I got into the head coaching role, working with different teams and players. And in 1993, we started uh, a company called uh, Excel Hockey, which was, I was very curious about the mechanics of hockey and got into starting a company that spent several million dollars on research and we traveled all over Canada and uh, tested teams from around the world who we analyzed skating data. And then we did the same thing. I started a, a company with Mike Valley, who was a, Ended up being a goalie coach for the Dallas Stars, but him and I started a company called Next Testing, and then we did the same thing. I worked with the uh, NHL Combine in Edmonton in 2008. We worked with Central Scouting, and my job was to build all of the gold standard tests for on-ice performance testing and off-ice performance testing, and I was always trying to get to the, the bottom. I'm kind of like a curious cat. You know, I'm always trying to get to the bottom of why things are the way they are, and uh, started a company in 2005, my own, which was more on scientific research, which is elite hockey science. And, uh, started working on just researching behavioral things and players. Why, you know, I have an analytics company that tracks data in the NHL. Because I worked with so many players, amateur and professional, the idea was to get to the bottom of, of why and how and when and where, you know, the kind of the riddles of the game and, and always tried to be a predictor where the game was going. So it started off kind of with a passion that went into research and then into development. So how do you go from um, uh, building up all of that um, to working with uh, guys independently um, that are kind of in the National Hockey League? Uh, you know, Patrick Marlowe, uh, one of the guys that you've worked with. Um, you know, how does that relationship, is that just kind of how hockey works is, um, you know, uh, word well, of mouth I, I, I and think, things like that? Yeah, it is word of mouth. Yeah, it is word of mouth. I mean, you know, and when you get into that level, I, you know, it's kind of word of mouth. I mean, at the amateur level, you know, parents, they don't know what they don't know. So they'll go buy a rink and they see a flashy poster and it has the, the words on there that they're familiar with, with power skating and hockey skills or whatever. And then they kind of sign up and, you know, and, and the difference being, of course, is that with pro guys, they're not there to be entertained where, you know, a kid will come off the ice and go, oh, the parents, I had a good sweat and I really like that, that coach. You know, they may not have taught them anything. They, there's a lot of skill coaches out there and a lot of drill coaches and, a lot of kids just get a good sweat on, but they don't go anywhere. But with pros, they really know what they want. They know if you know your business. Um, they know if you get results. And they don't like wasting their time. They don't have the time to waste. Their careers are very short. And they have a lot of very precise questions and issues that they want to deal with. And they're looking for a guy that can give those answers. That's interesting. So what do you watch for in a player to gauge their skill level? When, when you start working with a new player, What's the first kind of few things that you look for? Oh, well, oh boy, you want to go down that road with rabbit hole. Um, so here, here's why I say that. You see, the the problem, if you go back, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have conversations with uh, Tarasov and Tikhanov because one of the, the, the kids I coached, his dad was a Canadian representative for Russia. So I was lucky to go and talk to those guys and, you know, just BS. I've been around the game a long, long time. And you watch the evolution of Orr, to Gretzky, to all these different guys. And the problem is the game is constantly evolving. So what I, what I find is that 
when you look at players, there's the, well, when I do the analytical part of the game, I track over 150 data points. And you're looking at the evolution of the game. And because of my testing background, where we did on-ice performance testing and off-ice performance testing, you realize that there's a correlation. And when I wrote my master's degree, it's uh, the, you know, offensive postures and how mechanics are, you know, how mechanics and skill influences offensive postures. And so that was part of the research I did with Next Testing and uh, with uh, Excel Hockey. And then you realize that there's a lot of misconceptions out there where, you know, for example, if you take a look at it and I, you know, hockey is now the uh, the descriptors that we use for hockey, for example. I mean, it used to be power skating and speed skating. And while players were more, you know, they're familiar with words like agility and deception, stuff like that. Well, really, that's come more into play. So power is really part of the game anymore. There's more other skills that they focus on. There's deception, speed, you know, there's speed, of course, but there's always agility and evasiveness. And so the game has evolved. All of the language of the game has evolved and expanded because of the excellence of skills. And now with social media, of course, you know, players, the younger players now are able to see all of these skills in action and replay them over and over again, you know, and, and there's a lot of rinks. Like for example, I live in Vancouver and there's lots of rinks around here. People are constantly on the ice. Kids are working out on things. And so when you look at players, you're trying to look at, first of all, where's the game going? So if I look at a young player, I look at, okay, well, where's the game going to be in five years? You try to have predictors and see where the game is evolving. Guys are getting bigger. Guys are getting faster. There's less time and space on the ice. That the rinks aren't going to get any bigger. You know, more of the play is being pushed to the boards on the outside. So you start looking at how do players uh, manage the short game? How is their, their, you know, how do they play along the boards? Do they protect the puck well? Mm-hmm. Can they manage their game in tighter spaces? Do they are they more explosive now? Are they more agile? And you know, the old straightaway speed really doesn't happen that often anymore. It's all short game speed. So you look at their ability to manage space and their decision making. You know, do they, you know, watch? Do they watch the ice? Do they know where all their players are at all times? I mean, that's one thing that impresses me about Connor McDavid. Is everybody talks about his speed. And I'm saying, well, you know, there's a lot of players in the NHL that are as fast as he is. And but you know, he has a very fast mind. He sees the ice better than a lot of other players that have speed. So he has alternative things that he can go back to. So I look at more diversification as well. Um, you know, the other more like Pavelski, for example, he's good at tips. He's pretty good at a lot of different things. And we're not, he's not so one dimensional, but there's some players in the NHL that are very one dimensional. And so you look at diversification, thought process, how they see the game and how they play the game and their overall skill set. It's, I, I find it so interesting, um, with kids these days and, and, uh, I, I know you work with uh, school you, and we're going to get into uh, a conversation about that in a second uh, people can find more information at school, com where you can get one-on-one training. But, uh, you know, I do the play by play for the brick tournament, for example, here in Edmonton. And, uh, it, it's amazing how kids mimic the things they see uh, and not just in the NHL, like sure they're watching the NHL uh, for the toe drags and, and everything else and the celebrations, but kids are now watching other kids at the brick tournament to see what they're doing so they can do that. It, it's such an interesting thing with social media and YouTube. Um, do you find the, the, that, you know, you've worked with kids at all levels for a number of years. How different is today's player compared to even 10 years ago? Well, First of all, let, let's take the fact that 10 years ago, I mean, the game was even more physical 10 years ago. Sure. So now that physical presence is gone. So now you have kids that are in the game that are, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that don't like the physical play but love the skill play. <clears throat> so I think it's opened up some diversity in the game that way. So there's more intellectual players out there that there's more room for intellectual play as well, just because of the, you know, the third and fourth lines now. 
there's not that physical presence that needs to be there. Although there is, but I'm just saying that there is not as much as it was before. More emphasis so on you skill. Have, yeah, more emphasis on skill. And so younger players, the, the thing that really bothers me the most, and I mean, is there's a lot of online stuff that's wrong. And I just did a PhD study on what we call behavioral mechanics and behavioral physiology. And the problem that happens is that if a player repeats one behavior or one type of skill uh, too often, it becomes detrimental. It's like a, it's like a virus infecting your computer. It's, it's a mechanical action that impacts their game. And the, it, so there's so many uh, different types of skills in the game. And if you take a look at what exceptionalism means, that the exceptional skills, the ones that are the hardest to perform, the best players in the world can make it look easy. But yet, you know, you're so often doing other skills that take away from that. So you have to look at it and say, well, look, if I want to be at the top of my game and have to perform these super elite skills, how many reps do I have to do with these elite skills to make them fluid and unconsciously competent in game play? They just come out of me. You know, it's kind of like a creative side. And and then there's just the, the actual, I call it, that, so I call some of that stuff fluff. You know, and then some of the other stuff is just, protecting the puck. And I find that today's game that too many kids out there are following the YouTube accounts and the Instagram accounts where they're looking at a lot of fluff and the toe drags and things like that, but yet they can't perform the simple, simple basic fundamentals of protecting mm. the puck. And, and so they're, they get, you know, one of the complaints I get from a lot of coaches that, you know, want me to work with the players is we're just sick and tired of the guys, the kids dusting the puck all the time. They're always over sticking, always over sticking. And you want them to slow it down simplify, protect the puck, keep it simple. And probably a guy like Ryan Getzloff would be a guy you can think of that is called, called like kind of the king of simple. He never really makes too many moves with his hands. He just protects the puck. Another guy would be Joel Thornton. You know, they kind of glide around, protect the puck, make good simple plays. And if they have to, they can beat you with one move. But they're still, they're not known for the dangles, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, and so with Connor McDavid, I think he's had a, a both a positive and a negative influence on the game because he has such good hands that all the kids want that, but they, mm-hmm. they try to jump from, you know, from kindergarten right to grade, you know, to uh, college as opposed to going through the hard knocks of, I think you have to protect the puck first. And I think you have to know how to do this first. And I think you have to know how to do that second, and then you can get to the fluff and you've earned the rest. Yeah, Connor McDavid is a uh, is a um, a pleasure and a curse in one sense that we all love watching him play, but we all know not everybody can be like that. And, and in fact, uh, I don't even know what the percentage of be you know, generational players. That's that's what it is. Not everybody is a generational player. Listen, there's there are guys um, that play in the NHL that that wish they could do that, and they're in the NHL, and there there's it's such a level. I mean, I, I have had the pleasure to to watch Connor McDavid here in Edmonton since he came into the NHL, and it's just um, it, it's just a, it's a delight as a fan to watch it. When you look at him specifically. Um, I guess just the the thing the thing that maybe amazes you the most is is it that he can do everything with his feet and his hands at such a high speed? Is it his edge work? Is it? Uh, I, I guess what's the no, no, what's the that, most that impressive? That, no. no, the most impressive thing about me, I mean about him, pardon me, and me looking at him is the fact that I look at um, I look at how he plays the game. You know how he plays the percentages. I mean, if you think of it like Texas Hold'em, if you will, I mean he gets dealt a card or he gets dealt a certain play. So he'll view that play and, and come up with the best percentage gamble. And, you know, when we're looking at, you know, there's a cognitive thing called pair cancellation. So what do you, what you have to do, a lot of kids don't understand, is that you look at a play and you have to see the one that's not right as well as you have to see the one that is correct. You have to take an overall view 
and then look at and make the right decisions. What I find that he does, even around the net, like there's times where, you know, I could guarantee 99% of the people in the NHL would take that shot. He'll look at that and say, well, man, that might be a 60% chance of scoring, but if I make that, that crazy play to the backside of the net, it's a 100% chance of scoring. So he'll make the better play. Uh, he'll shoot the higher percentage areas of the net. He'll do certain plays on the ice. You know, he'll time things. He'll use his space properly where he'll just wait and all of a sudden he'll shove off the defender, create space for himself, get the puck at a higher speed. So he plays the percentages a lot better. And I think one of his greatest gifts is his mind. He's a very, very bright player. And now, you know, when you have the tools and the toolbox, it makes you dangerous, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, it, to to be able to think the game at that high level and then your body, your hands and your feet react to it. Not everybody can do There's a lot of guys that are really fast on the feet and not fast on the hands and, and obviously uh, vice versa. So you have uh, a program through School U and people can find that information at www.schoolu.com. How does your program work with School U um, as far as one-on-one training? Well, you know, in today's age, what I find with kids is that they're a lot more video uh, friendly. You know, they'll, I have a lot of, uh, I do a lot of FaceTime classes where go through school, you, um, they contact me and I work with them and what, if they're on the ice, I'll actually, some of the kids have shooting rooms, shooting centers or training centers in their room, in their house. Uh, They'll FaceTime me, they'll set the camera up, we'll go back and forth and I have a training center, so I'll set up my camera, I'll show them what they need to do and I mean, that gets rid of all the travel and the mileage. Um, the other things that I do is, you know, they ask me to look at game footage where I'll go over their game or their mechanics or their whatever they're doing in practice and look at what I can do. And then I create a sequence of drills for them specifically designed to correct the problems that they can practice. Um, I also watch game tape and game footage to look at the, you know, the decisions that they make and why they're making it and that sort of thing. That's probably, you know, going to be a good conversation for later on as to why that becomes a bit of a problem. But you know, most of the kids are one-dimensional. They can do certain things very well, but they're not. They don't have a lot of diversity in their in their abilities. So it's just pointing those things out, um, and then just going to work on simple exercises that they could do at home. It's just like doing push-ups. If I said to you, "Look, just I want to start off with five push-ups today and do add one a day," you know, be surprised how strong you get. You mm-hmm. know, it's very simple, and it's the same concept. You just keep it simple, give them exercise, and you're not. So I think what happens with a lot of kids and a lot of parents, they think that we're that we're in this industry, we're trying to change them. We're not. And, and one of the problems that players have is they they have a certain skill and they use it 100% of the time as opposed to realizing that that skill is used 80% of the time and they have to have the other 20% is something else to fit in. And so when their brain is in a game situation, they'll also, like when I first started working with Kabelsky, you know, I was looking at some of his game plays and I'd say, well, Joe, why did you do this play? I mean, you had this available. He never even realized it until he saw it. And then there's 12 offensive methods for scoring. There's 12 offensive tactics. And so we started to realize is that, you know, we started to get work on his tips and his deflections. Now it's considered one of the best eye hand, you know, skills in the game for sure. And, but, you know, when you realize that there's other parts of the game that, that you can capitalize on, and that's based on percentage, then players are willing to change. But too many guys get stuck in a rut. And I think, you know, what my job is, is to point out, first of all, like, why are you doing what you're doing? Because there's another option available. And then I realized that they can't do the other option because they don't have the skill set to do it. So, well, let's build a skill set that allows you to manage those situations in the future. And you're not actually changing them. You're actually just adding, their, you know, you're just giving them another tool in their toolbox. Yeah, just more options. Uh, we're speaking with Ron yes, exactly. Johnson. Uh, he's a skills coach, an offensive consultant, uh, and uh, has uh, 
Uh, time for you, if you're interested, at schoolu.com, one-on-one training. And uh, I, I love that you can give instant feedback uh, to, uh, you know, from you in uh, the, the Vancouver area. Uh, maybe you're working with a, a guy just outside of Brandon, Manitoba, a young kid or something like that. It's uh, it, it, like you said, it eliminates the miles. And, you know, there's a lot of different uh, instructors. Uh, you know, Roger Federer's coach is on School U uh, uh, for, for if you're interested in tennis. Well, you can't just walk into the training center and, and walk up to Roger Federer's coach. And this gives access to, to people like him and yourselves. And um, I, I, it also probably uh, allows you to be a lot more creative uh, than, than you might be able to do in other areas too. Yeah, well, I think one of the problems, first of all, understand that there's two parts to development. Really, there's what they call the diagnostic. So really what people do, I mean, you go to the doctor, you know, you, you don't feel well, you know there's something wrong, but right. you kind of go through and he'll go through the test and so that's the diagnostic. Then you have the prescription. Well, a lot of people, you know, they'll go to a coach and a lot of coaches are drill coaches. They'll put them through different things and, you know, go around cones and jump over this and go around that. And what it does, it doesn't really mimic game situations, but, but yet the, the kids get a good sweat on, they do certain things well, but it really isn't correcting some of the issues. And I'll say to kids, you know, I just had a conversation with a, a, uh, an academy kid uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I said to him, you know, your plans are to make, you know, to go to junior A next year, the BC junior hockey league. You know, so are you going to go and, you know, kind of sit down with maybe 10 people that you really respect in hockey that know you and say, look, uh, you know, could you give me three things that you feel I need to improve on and maybe two things I do well? And I said, have you put that in your plan? And he goes, not really. I said, well, you only got two months left. You know, Mm -hmm. the seasons are mostly finished at the end of February, you know, end of March. So, you know, you better start putting a list of guys together because, you know, if, if, you know, you consult 10 people and 10 people have one thing that's in common, you better start working on it. Right. And it gives you a better idea. You know, one person doesn't always have the answer. I, I'm just kind of one of those people that, you know, because I have a master's degree in hockey ball mechanics and I've been around the game long enough, I can kind of give a deeper dive into what people need to work on and give them a better solution. But but there's a lot of good hockey people out there. And I think what parents need to do a lot of, a lot of times is just find somebody and say, just do an evaluation of my son. You just take a look. Like, what do you really think? Like, you know, okay, I have an opinion. His coach has an opinion. My son has an opinion. But what do you think? And a lot of people are afraid of the answers. And I, what I find in this industry is that there's a lot of people that stroke egos to get paid. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with a pro player, stroking egos isn't what they want. You know, and right. I, I'm supposed to go out, you know, and I'm supposed to go out, I just got a call from Shane Wright's agent. And, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about Shane is he loves criticism. He doesn't want people to tell him how good he is. I mean, he's told how good he is, but he just wants to know that, hey, look, you know, before I get too far down this road, I mean, I'm 15, before I turn 18, um, I, I just want to make sure I'm not wasting my time by doing improper things or maybe something I'm missing. So Ron, could you help me out? You know, just make sure that, that I'm not going down the wrong path. And I think that's another service I offer. I have people just send me videos. They could just evaluate my son. Here's someone, give me, I'll, I'll give them maybe five or 10 skating skills to perform or shooting. I'll give them an understanding what they need to work on. Then they have people in their area. Now that, but that gives the parents, you know, I mean, if you have a shoulder injury, you don't just go to a GP. You're going to go to somebody that, you know, Someone says you've got a torn meniscus. Well, you're going to go to a surgeon that specifies a need. You know what I'm saying? So I think what happens is there's a lot of general practitioner skill coaches out there, but not a lot of specific ones. And I think parents need to have a better understanding of what that really looks like. Mm. That's got to be an exciting process, though, with a, with a guy like Shane, right, who is uh, a lot of people uh, are expecting a lot of big things. And as you, as you said, he's been told how good he is 
for a long time. This is a young kid in in Ontario that's uh, being talked about a lot as being the next big guy. Uh, and you know, do you do you need to watch? And maybe you already have. Like, do you know what you're going to do, or do you have to go there and watch a little bit? Like, how does that process work? Well, they, the agent wants me to fly to Kitchener and to actually watch a couple of games and mm-hmm. then go, you know, sit down with them. And I mean, I, I can watch footage of them as well. But, you know, it's, I've done this for 46 years. So to me, it's just a matter you know, I can go on the ice and tell them in a couple of minutes what you need to work on. But the, the game stuff is just tactical decisions. I look at the correlations between his skill and how he, what he produces offensively. And again, you know, by giving him a different tool, I mean, he's very, very smart. He's a very bright player and he's very committed. He's a very intense player, and he just wants to get better. He doesn't like wasting time. And I think, you know, that's where a lot of guys like when Patrick Marlowe reached out to me as well. I mean, you know, he's been in the league for 18, 19 years at that stage, but everybody wants to get better. They don't have time to waste. And a lot of parents, they always tell parents, you know, you're gonna run, your son's going to run out of time before you run out of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you better be very careful. You know, you, know, you know the old saying, you know, you be careful of who you hang around with and be careful of what they teach you. And, and I think that's probably one of the my biggest concerns with younger players today is there's so many coaches out there. I mean, Vancouver alone has got, I don't know, a couple hundred skill coaches. There's a lot of great guys. They all have something to offer. But you need the hockey. The game's game is so well-rounded in so many areas, cognitive science to physiology to mechanics to tactics to you name it. I mean, there's everything from nutrition, emotional control, you know, there's so many different coaches out there that can really help you, but you have to have some type of game plan. I mean, you have to have some type of prescription. Somebody can give you a diagnostic and then point you in the right direction. So let's talk about, uh, maybe let's discuss a couple of two or three players that you work with. You mentioned Patrick Marlowe, uh, maybe want uh, him, let's include him in the conversation about what, what would you specifically work with, with a couple of different players that, you know, we can see um, them performance on the ice and, and, and maybe discuss kind of specifically what you might do one, one well, thing with them. Well, I'm going to give you an example. Okay. So there's two examples. There's actually three. So there's three examples I'll give you. So one is with Ryan Kessler, one's with Patrick Marlowe, one's with Joe Pedelski. Perfect. So you get, let's break down. There's two kinds of players. There's the kind of player that's a standalone, like an Alexander Beskin. You know, that what they do is that they're great consummate individual players and they can carry a game. They'll do things on their own. Not to say that they're not team guys, but they can still manage their skill set, right? Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid can still play and still get things done and accomplished. But there's guys out there like Patrick Morrow and Joe Pavelski are great team players. And what they need to do is they need to play with quality players. And, you know, back when, you know, Joe moved up the line and you know the organization he ended up playing with joe thornton and you know that's one of the best things that ever happened to him joe's a consummate team player you know almost to a default so if you're like joe who likes to score and you also like to distribute the puck you need to work with certain players you know you need to be with intelligent players such as yourself and, and those guys are very smart now ryan kester in vancouver i mean he was well known he's a, he's a superstar in vancouver he goes to anaheim like i said to ryan you know he's getting frustrated because not getting the puck and i said well ryan you, know, you go to anaheim you know, who are you? You know, you're, you're just Ryan Kessler. There's, they, you know, you're from Vancouver. They don't care who you are and I'm. The players on the team don't know who you are. They don't know what you're all about. They don't, you know, they're not going to give you the puck when they can take a shot. Like, who are you? I said, so if you became the best playmaker in that year and just make sure you give guys the puck and distribute it, show your teammanship, then the rest of the players will buy in because they understand that, hey, you're not a selfish player, you're a team player. You know, and then they'll start giving you the puck and then you start using your skills. You know, Patrick Marlowe is a very, very bright guy. Very, very smart. You know, very tactically smart, understands the game. 
But you know now what happens with a lot of players like that? They're older. So when he went to Toronto, he played. You know, he got a lot of his points in the power play. Well, he's playing with the best players. You know, but you got young kids there, so he gets shoved down the lineup. You know, when he's five on five, he's not playing with players that can read the game like he can, that see the opportunities, that move the puck as well as he can. And now his offense performance suffers because now you know he can score when he has the puck in the right situation, but he's also a constant team guy. But you know, if you count the number of times of players that are that are really smart team guys give a guy the puck that don't get a point from a goal, there's got to be thousands of goals missed. You know, and those points go on to hunt careers. And I think what happens with each of those moments, like with Patrick, it's more of well, look, you know, if you're going to you get the puck, you're not going to get the puck that often now, so you better make sure you capitalize on on your opportunities. So you have to shoot to what we call this secondary offensive things on the net. Like, for example, you might shoot high glove to score. Now, if I shoot, let's say, low blocker, I might get the same percentage of opportunity for scoring, but I, if I do miss, I get a better rebound opportunity. So I, I'll get a point in the second chance, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Joe, Joe you know, does a lot of work on the back end. So when he played with uh, San Jose, defense, I mean, he, he's a consummate player with his forwards. I mean, he plays very well with the forward guys as well, but he also had back end support, so he had burned get a bunch of the guys on the on the on the back end that could get the puck to him and first tips and deflections because they knew how he moved. Now he's in Dallas, you know, Dallas their D men really don't understand Pavelski's game. So now when you take away that, you know, he's not the type of pure offensive player that can generate a lot of offense just by himself, but give him an opportunity, he'll score. So he needs to play with guys that can read the game as well as he can, both in the front end and the back end. So those are my biggest concerns I talked to him about is, well, a communication, how to communicate with your teammates to find different areas on the ice. Like a lot of the players will ask me, look, I don't know much about my teammates. Could you watch them play? And then just kind of give me some pointers on what I can do to, you know, to help them out to be in better offensive position. So it, it, it comes from many different points of attack. So would you work with um, Ryan Kessler on becoming a better passer then? Um, to, well, he did. Yeah, he yeah. When his first year in Anaheim, he had a, higher, he had a right, way higher percentage of, of assistant goals. And there's actually one moment there. There's actually one moment. He hadn't scored in a while. And I think Getzlaff uh, gave him a pass for an empty net goal. And it was at that moment where I realized he'd become a real team player. They, they accepted him within the group. I mean, any time that you, you, know, you take away, you, I mean, he could have scored but he passed it off so that Ryan could get the goal to kind of break the slump. Then you realize that now you're on board as a team member. You know, mm-hmm. there's certain moments in your life. Like I think the same thing happens with Evander Kane. I mean, he went to San Jose, became a better team guy. I mean, you've got, you know, got some pretty powerful players around you. You know, you had Joe and you had uh, Jumbo and you've got uh, um, a bunch of guys in the roster like Burns that are pretty, you know, smart individuals and, you know, are good, are good as team players that's communicating the team concept. So I, I think, that's what really suffers in today's game is that I think a lot of the coaches really don't understand the, the intrinsic undercurrents of each player and really play them with like, well, look at Dry and, and now all of a sudden, where's he come from? Him and McDavid have found this perfect match, right? Are just killing him scoring. But I think that exists on each team, but you have to, and as a matter of fact, I think that exists on each line, but you have to find it and you have to get within the, you know, find the mix of each player, and then they'll work well together. And as we know now, hockey's becoming a five-man offensive system with a lot of offense coming back on the back end. So, you know, it's it's, it's diversification, and it's just working together, uh, you know, I, I think more consistently. From, uh, from your point of view, when should we start teaching skill uh, in our game? Uh, I, I, I'm not talking about structure. I'm not talking about breakouts and things like that. 
Um, is is skill something that um, you know skating? I think should well, probably come first, and then you know let's start well, getting them control the puck. Well, I, I disagree, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, so when I did my PhD study on behavioral physiology and behavioral mechanics, you got to understand something. Okay, so there's a term that's called your DRO, which is called your daily rate of occurrence. So if you take a look at a kid who's six years old, what's he doing? He runs all day long. And if you notice that they turn their feet out, they're in the playground, they're running, they're running, they're running, they're running. And they're always, if that they were wearing skate blades, they'd be probably 100% of the time would be on their inside edge, right? So now you get that kid on the ice. He's only on the ice for really productive skating-wise, maybe 30 minutes of practice, maybe 45 minutes. And in that time, because of the size of the rink and because how small they are as people, they spend most of their time on their inside edge. Now, I come along as a coach and say, look, now I have to fix your outside edge to get you to cross over properly and get you to turn properly. So if you think at the NHL level, anywhere between 80 to you know 90% of the time, depending on the shift of the game, players will be spending turning. So that's going to be part of their outside edge. So now if you do the same thing to younger kids, they might be on their outside edge or turning maybe 10% of the time. So somewhere... That's why the short game stuff is really helping their youth development. But what happens is that the muscles inside the hips don't function properly. So now you get the kid on the ice, he doesn't have the muscular strength to keep his toe, you know, his feet rotated inward immediately, and he can't do a crossover. He can't hold that position. So they end up slipping, and their feet always spring open, and because the muscle structure doesn't build. So what I get kids to do starting at three and a half, four years old, I give them off-ice exercises to build those muscles so that they can actually feel the muscle and build the, the core strength and the hip strength to be able to actually hold the crossover position. And by the time they're five, they can scale like crazy. I could send you a video of a five-year-old that blow your mind. It, it, it's shocking. But huh. see, what we do is we, we don't understand that mechanics is really more than just a game itself. It skates. You can, you can train most, I'd say probably say about 80 to 90% of all the movements because gliding is the only thing, but you still mimic a glide position. can be performed off ice. And mm-hmm. so what we need to do is I started with kids that are three and a half and four years old just to build proper mechanics, proper physiological movements and patterns so that when they get on the ice, it's second nature. And, you know, and one of the biggest criticisms that kids have when they hold on to a stick that's taught they, they get lazy. They don't know how to hold on to a stick. So, you know, we can teach a kid at three to hold on to a stick properly. So they're holding a fork and a spoon. I mean, the stick is just another tool. Mm-hmm. But we don't spend enough time on the micro mechanics, the little tiny things that make a big difference. And so by the time the kids, um, there's a there's kind of a magical point where four, five, and six, and seven, their neurology can can actually help drive their their development because their their brains are so uh, so active. You know, they're, they're, they have such potential. And then there there seems to be a tipping point where when they start to perform a certain skill too often, they have to learn to undo it. Well, I had a boy in my training center that's 13 years old that just he can't stop doing this one skill is one movement. And I said to him, well, we're not trying to teach you something new. You're trying to unlearn this to do something else. And he couldn't stop doing it. And, and so there's a tipping point. And that's why I try to tell parents is, you know, you better be very careful how often you repeat something. So we call that practice rate of occurrence or PRO and then there's DRO, which is game rate of occurrence. So what I do is I track all of the game rate occurrences and mechanically, tactically, I have a huge database and all the players. And then I track it and I look for changes over a long period of time, which is look for how the, the game, you know, changes over over year to year to year, and players change over year to year. I, I have graphs on every single player that scores over thirty goals, for example. But so then we go back, and then you say to a kid, okay, well, you know, you've got to you got to think that a kid that's ten isn't going to get to the NHL probably in nine to ten years. So where's the game going? And what type does that you know what skills does that player have to 
be able to perform to be successful at that level, whether he's going to be five foot ten or five foot eleven or six foot five or six foot six. You know, and where's the game going? Where are the goaltending going to be like? You know, how, what's the speed of the game? And then we have to be able to make sure that they not, not, you know, they're not only working on the physiology part of it, just to make sure that their bodies are functionally moving properly and stick handling and shooting and, and skating, that they don't overdo it. And, and what happens when I played, you know, I'm sure you went through the same thing. We played hockey was a seasonal game. And then we went and we played lacrosse, we played soccer, we played baseball, mm-hmm. whatever. And then we went back to the game. So, you know, the realignments of the joints were naturally put back into place where today, you know, we have a lot of the off-ice training is basically is for the on-ice performance where the, 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 a lot of the muscles and joints have to be realigned to keep a kid healthy. So he doesn't have hip injuries. These things don't happen. You know, you take a look at a kid now who, you know, by the time he's seven years old, I'd say by the time he's 15, he's been on the ice when I played. He'd probably been on the ice equivalent of me as a 25-year-old because there's so much ice. So, again, that has a detrimental effect because we're not actually meant to skate. Our hips are meant to move mm-hmm. like that, our body. So, you know, it's all of these things, these factors now have to come into play. So you really have to have somebody that knows what they're talking about to really guide you on your journey. And I spend most of my time doing consulting now with parents. I I just had a parent come in here today. His son's an elite 10-year-old. He comes in, he wants me to analyze him, look at him, and put him on the right track and just make sure he's not wasting time because he realized by the time you get to a certain age, you can't undo that. It's impossible. You know what? And I hate to plug things, but, you know, I got so frustrated with this that I actually wrote a book. Hmm. <laughs> and it, it's called In Search of Excellence, Core Values in Search of Excellence. It's ice hockey, In Search of Excellence, Core Values. And really what I found was that skill has nothing to do with the elite player. It's his ability to acquire skill, their passion to acquire skill. And I think what happens with a lot of parents is they get caught up on, I'm going on the ice, I'm learning a skill but the kid does not have the ability to even understand and comprehend the skills that they're learning or how to even practice them or how to even make them permanent. And, you know, so I got frustrated with it because after, you know, working with Matt Bardell and Kyle Connor and all these guys, Dylan Larkin, Andrew Kopp and Ryan Kessler and that they, you know, they really set aside that everybody always talks about the skill, but they never sit down with the individual. And I've been very fortunate enough to work with all these guys to say that, outstanding people. They just know how to get their body to work. They spend time on functional movement. They do these things. They focus properly. They don't waste time. They have a lot of good skills away from the actual skills of the game itself, their mental skills, their physical skills. When you watch an NHL game, for an example, do you watch it as a fan or are you watching for these little things that people don't watch? (laughs) That is a great question. So funny story. So I'm, I'm at a game. I'm at the Colorado Vancouver game. And I went with a friend of mine, and we're sitting and watching the game. And uh, I was sitting and watching the game, and he goes, oh, what do you see? Nothing. And he goes, no, no, what do you see? Nothing. I'm just watching the game. What do you see? Oh, look, don't ask me the question. Hmm. He goes, he goes, no, come on, seriously, just show me one thing. I said, well, you're, I said, okay, how many guys here are skating with full speed? He goes, well, they all are. No, they're not. I said, the only guy pursuing is the guy pursuing the puck. The other three guys, are, you know, four guys are are gliding, watching where the puck's going. And maybe the secondary is actually skating fast. The other guys are gliding. You see, mm-hmm. your, your eyes are drawn to the puck. Look at the guys behind the play. Where are they going? Look at the gap control. Look what they're doing. Is the guy managing the puck. And I said, do I counted 10 mistakes in one shift? And I said, look, they're, 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 they didn't have the puck on the right side of the body. You know, they, they pivoted at the wrong time. They made the wrong passing play. They passed to the wrong guy. They didn't keep possession. They shot to the wrong area of the net. I said, so I, I can't watch the game. I have to turn my brain off and just go sit there as a fan and really just eat popcorn 
and mm. just watch and just appreciate each guy. You know, you watch behind the play and how a guy skates and, you know, watch the little things they do in warm up and just enjoy what they're doing and, and without being critical. But I, I find it very difficult to watch the game. I actually have more fun watching a TV hockey game than I do an NHL game. It's it's interesting. Uh, some of the uh, you know like during minor hockey week and things like that, when uh, we would get out to the smaller rinks and you see you know five kids chasing one puck, it, it just kind of takes you back to some uh, to uh, uh, the the beginning of the days that where they're like they're like uh, geese uh, all chasing after one thing. And, you know that's the, oh. the the beautiful thing about hockey is that you know you can you can take that enthusiasm for it and you can grow it for the rest of their lives whether they play it or not isn't it the truth isn't it the truth you know you go to a pee hockey game there's mistakes everywhere yeah you know but but you love the pure joy of the effort uh the kid makes a good play you can appreciate it you know you know where they're coming from you know you can tell by their efforts they're just caught in the moment they're, they're you know he takes you back to your passion you know mm-hmm. and i think what happens along the way is it gets too businesslike you know yeah, I have to, you know, I've got five games and, you know, in seven nights, I've got to, you know, the game has just kind of changed a little bit. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I watched the Edmonton game in Vancouver and I, you know, I just sit and I just sat and watched McDavid. Away from the amazing. Yeah. Everything he did. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I work with Jajar. So I was watching him. He's such a great guy, you know, just because he, you know, worked on the summer and the changes that he made. And I, I just appreciated what he did. He did, a, he did really well. He just, you know, he took some of the things he worked on. He was playing them in the game and he just realized that these guys, it's just amazing, you know, and the sad, you know, being in my industry, and I'm sure as you find out, Norris, is that you get to meet the most amazing athletes, mm-hmm. you know, and you get to sit and talk to them about their passions and what, you know, and I mean, I have to thank all the guys that contributed to the book. It's just because they, they said, of course, Ron, Jesus, man, let's see if we can help our kids. And some of my former students and past students that played pro with, uh, with some amazing guys that have come up through hockey, they, they just all want to reach out to the parents of the kids and help them out any way they can. And I, and I think that's, that's the beauty of the game is really that there's players at the pro level that want to give back. When I, when I was young, I mean, I was lucky that I had a you know, couple of pro guys that coached me as a young player. And I, I mean, I was very poor. We didn't have the money, but because I was a good student and they really enjoyed working with a kid that got it and really wanted to become better, they really put the time and effort with you. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the pros. You know, it's it's funny. You said uh, you know you can go to the Pee Wee game and they make mistakes. You can go to a uh, like the Oil Kings are in my backyard, and and you can go to junior hockey, the the highest level of junior hockey in our country, and there's mistakes made that makes the game entertaining. Hell, you watch the World Juniors this year. There were mistakes a lot. That's what that's what happens at the junior level. Mistakes lead to goals, which leads to excitement. Um, it's not it it's, it, yeah. It's not as um, um, predictable, let's say, as the NHL. Uh, it's unpredictable, and, and that's what makes hockey entertainment at times. I mean, that World Junior, the gold medal game, had more roller coasters than Six Flags. Oh, isn't it? Isn't it the truth? I mean, I, I'll be honest. I was I was teaching at the uh, clients fly in from New York, and I was watching it was 3-1. I went, you know what? i got to get on the ice. This is over. <laughs> and I come back, and they go, they want to come on. And I mean, you know, I, I work with uh, at Nolan Foote, you know, when I text him out against congratulations, that's just an awesome win. I mean, that's a roller coaster ride if I've ever heard of it. But, you know, but it, it, that's why it's entertaining. I mean, you've got to think of the game as a game of mistakes. I mean, the puck would never move. Could you imagine if mm-hmm. the, it was just pass, 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 shot, and then the goalie saved the puck or was in the net, and then you started another faceoff? But the game is full of mistakes. I mean, people take risks, you know, and it's, uh, that's what makes the entertainment. And that's why I can just shut it off because I can appreciate the mistakes because otherwise there's no entertainment. 
but that doesn't mean the mistake should happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of like playing Texas Hold'em. You can play the odds or sometimes you're the hell with it. You know, it's a game of luck. I'm just going to hold to it out. Mm-hmm. One final question for you, Ron, and really appreciate your time today. What is, um, what's one NHL player, who is one NHL player, in your opinion, that doesn't get enough appreciation for their skill? You know, I, I can't, I really can't say that per se. I'll, give you, I'll tell you why, because there's so many different things to appreciate in player skill, right? Some guys are good at skating. I mean, there's a lot of players I like that have a certain degree of intensity and will get things done. You know, there's, I'll, I'll give you, I'm just going to give you two examples. So Morgan Klimchuk was the first round draft pick for the Calgary Flames. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was lucky to work with him in Calgary. We did a bunch of work together and he's changed. But now watch him in the American Hockey League. The guy can shoot the puck. He can skate, but he's a victim. Like I, I look at some of his game footage, right? We go over his game footage. And I'll say like, what the hell are your line mates doing now? Like what's that demon? Like, you know, so he's playing, he has an incredible amount of skill. He can skate, he can shoot the puck. Another one's Mac McCormick, for example. You know, I worked with Max, but they're just great guys. Like, they, they can shoot the puck, they care, they're willing to fight, they what it takes. But they're just not given that opportunity to to play with the players they need to play with to be the kind of player they need to be. And I think you can say that for many, many, many players. They just, they kind of get lost somewhere in the shuffle. And there's, they do have a lot of skill, and they just, don't get that opportunity. I mean, a perfect example is Pavelski. I mean, dropped in the seventh round. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, I think Hurdle got hurt. He got injured. Joe gets moved to the first line with uh, with Joe Thornton, and the rest is history. I mean, how many players have been drafted in the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, seventh round that just don't get that opportunity? And, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that have skill, and they're just, they seem to miss. And, I mean, some of the pros I talked to, and I said, well, what, you, what, you know, what was the main reason you made it? And they thought, you know what, I think maybe I was in the right place at the right time. Another guy will say that didn't make, you know, I don't think I was in the right place at the right time. And a lot of, you know, hockey is a pressure game. You know, if you're uh, an NHL coach, you know, you're there to win. You're not there to take gambles. And a lot of guys just don't get that opportunity. So for me, just to pick one guy, I think we do all the rest of them a disservice. I think there's a lot of guys in the American Hockey League that are overlooked, just don't get that opportunity. I think there's guys in the pros, you know, in the NHL that are third, fourth liners that don't get that opportunity. Just because they're... It's all about winning, and there's, you know, I mean, we're in entertainment business. You've got to have the Conor McDavis on there. I mean, if you take, if he got injured, how many more guys are getting more ice time? Yeah. You know, it's, and ice time is everything. So, you you know, you get, I mean, think about the pressure that these young guys are under. If they don't get the exact bucket exactly the right time to showcase their skill, you know, you may go, coaches want to dump and chase. A dump and chase. I'll, I'll give you a story, just one other example. This is really crazy. So I was working um, with a guy that played in San Jose. And uh, it's his whole concept was, it was Adam Burris. And so I was watching, he said, Ron, can you watch all my games? He'd come over the blue line, he'd shoot the puck on that. And I'm going, no, what the hell are you doing now? Like, you had a better option. And he goes, look, if I don't get my statistics, if I don't get X amount of shots on net, they say I'm not playing my game. And I'm not, they're not going to do anything for them. So, Ron, I, if I get the puck on my stick and I'm in the, if there's no other player, I'm putting it on net to get my stats. And, and that's really part of the bad side of the game. I think that, that buries a lot of careers in the NHL. There's a lot of guys out there that are just missing that opportunity. And there's a lot of guys I know that just, you know, just give them an opportunity with a different team. I mean, that happens in the Western Hockey League. You know, what's one man's junk is another man's treasure, as they say. And one kid will go from one team to another, and all of a sudden he, gets, he becomes a goal scorer. You know, or some guy will become a, a number one defenseman because he gets traded. And, and I think that's just the nature of the game. It's sad to say, so I, I really can't. 
focused on one player. Sorry. No worries, Ron. This has been a great conversation. Uh, people can uh, look at your profile at schoolu.com uh, if they want to get in touch with you. And uh, I look forward to uh, chatting down the road sometime. I appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, yours in hockey. Take care. Thank you. Cameron used to sing a lot, but he stopped when his dad yelled, Shut up. Hey there. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more great stuff for your ears, check out Podcast Alley at www.deanmillard.ca where you can find more entertaining podcasts and contests. Now let's get back to the show. That was a really fun conversation with Ron Johnson, who is a skills coach and offensive consultant. You can work one-on-one with Ron, and he can try to develop you into the player you want to be, courtesy of schoolu.com. Check them out at www.schoolu, that's S-C-O-O-L-U.com. Whether you're a hockey player, tennis player, a musician, they got all kinds of different things. A baseball division launching shortly. It's really, really cool. Check it out, www.schoolu.com. That's S-C-O-O-L-U.com. As for the Acme Meat Market trivia question, I want you to name two of the NHL players that Ron is or has worked with. He mentioned a lot of names in there. Just send me two names. You can either do it on any of our social media. You can reply to me, hit me up on Twitter, any of that, or you can email me, Pod at gmail.com get me on twitter at duck millard instagram at sports and more podcast facebook at sports and more 35 or as mentioned email me sports and more pod at gmail.com you can also text the answer as well if that's easier 780-803-1555 that's 780-803-1555 uh, if you're uh, an iphone subscriber Uh, iMessage is free. For everybody else, there may be text message charges applicable. My thanks to Ron Johnson for joining me on the program. And we're looking uh, potentially at uh, some other uh, former NHL players uh, down the road, uh, trying to line up a couple of guests in that regard. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe wherever you can find your podcasts and leave us a review. Let us know what you think what you would like to hear, maybe who you would like to hear from. The reviews are really, really important for us uh, to bring you the best product possible. And if you'd like to be a part of the show, maybe as an advertiser, hit me up with an email, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That's sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Playtime is over.